There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, I'm Claire Mutimer. And I'm Susie Coulson. Welcome to The Backstory. In each episode, we'll be hearing about an experience that has happened to someone that's shaped who they are. 30 minutes that remind us that everyone's dealing with something. So we're a documentary podcast, a docupod. Except you made that word up. Welcome back to a brand new season of The Backstory. Now, I'd love to chat, but we have a fascinating story this week, which is part of a bigger theme for this whole season. So, Claire, do you want to tell us a bit more about what's coming up? Yes, uh, we have four stories which go right to the heart of why we make these podcasts, stories that really show what people are contending with behind the scenes. For these next four episodes, we're going to be talking to people who have had to fight for justice. They're stories of determination and bloody-minded grit of considering giving up but deciding to carry on. All very different stories but all with the common experience of a horrific event followed by a battle for justice. Okay, and our first story is a two-parter. Claire went to meet Penny to hear about her search for justice in a story that spans decades. Claire, can you give us a bit of an intro? Yeah, so this story is about a woman called Penny Farmer who lost her brother Christopher in 1978. Christopher was travelling with his girlfriend Peter. They were both in their early 20s and were travelling around America together. Penny, Christopher's sister, was 19 and at home in the UK, getting ready to go off to university. In the 70s, of course, we were pre-internet and mobiles, but Christopher and girlfriend Peter kept in touch with their families through regular letters home. But then the letters stopped. In this part one, Penny tells us what happened in 1978, or what she knew at that time. And next week, this story is brought bang up to date with the help of a huge discovery using Facebook, which helped Penny uncover a whole host of truths about her brother's case. Heads up, this is a story with some horrific events. If you think it may not be for you, then perhaps proceed with caution. As always, we've put helping agencies in the show notes. Here's Penny talking to Claire. So on the backstory, we like to have like a, a significant thing that's happened in your life. And certainly with you, Penny, there's been a hugely significant thing that's happened in your life. Um, and so I wonder if you can just sort of start by telling us what happened in 1978. OK, so uh, my brother, who was uh, age 25, he and his girlfriend, Peter, 
um, had finished their studies at Birmingham University. Uh, Peter had studied law, Chris had studied medicine. So they had always wanted to go travelling. They they were real, you know, travellers. They started off by going to Australia and then uh, they, uh, having worked for six months there, my brother uh, and Peter um, then moved over to Los Angeles and travelled down uh, through Mexico uh, until they reached Belize. They, they met a couple just by chance who said that uh, there was great um, uh, barrier reef along the Belizean coastline and uh, they being real uh, surfers and divers and swimmers wanted to go and explore it wow. so uh, so that that was how their adventure you know began really from Australia moving over to to Central America and so this was like 1978 how often were you hearing from them because obviously there wasn't you know, the emails and texts and stuff that we're getting nowadays. Like, no. What would you... Well, well you for those days, we, you know, we were in unbelievable, you know, close touch, really. Um, right. I mean, albeit by... Um, my brother used to re- record um, tapes uh, on his, uh, what he called his boombox, and, and record those and send us quite detailed travel logs. But Peter um, was a absolute uh, consummate uh, letter writer to her mother, and wrote these almost journal-style letters back home. And I don't think there was ever really a week that we didn't hear from either one of them. Wow, right. And so the letters kept coming, or...? Yep, uh, they, they kept coming up until uh, the end of June. And then we heard nothing from them at all throughout July. Right. And obviously our anxieties grew uh, as to what could have happened to them. And for a while, you know, we thought maybe they had fallen ill or, you know, there was a postal strike or something. But by early August, we we were really concerned. And then I think it was August the 4th, we received a letter which was dated, the the last date was June the 28th with a postscript of June the 29th saying that um, she hadn't been able to post it. Um, So it was an update. Um, But it it was a letter that arrived um, in August. So... And it had a post date of July the 18th from Livingston in Guatemala. So we were really puzzled um, by this letter because there was a two-week gap between the posting of it and her last postscript. Never um, would she post a letter without you know, adding a postscript and then and then posting it immediately. Right. So our concerns were really raised by then. And so was your mum and dad talking to Peter's mum and dad all the time? How did that Yes, sort of... yeah, well, by then. I mean, yes, because both sets of parents were very concerned. Well, we had grown up living opposite each other oh. in a suburb of Manchester called Chawton. So... Um, you know, we we literally lived in opposite houses and, you know, there were three of us and five of them. Chris and Peter had um, started going out together when they were 14, so childhood sweethearts. So what happened after that? Like, how did you... You got this one letter and did that sort of... That raised hope that, you know, they probably were OK. It was just that they're, they're out of communication Well, it, it, was, it was good to receive, but it just left a huge question mark. It raised more questions than, than answers, really, because... You know what had ha- happened to them throughout July. There was no mention of anything after right. June the twenty ninth, which was bizarre and totally out of character. So, what did your parents do after that? 
so uh, they decided to go to the Foreign Office. My, my father was a BBC uh, journalist, BBC television director, so he was very adept at alerting the media um, and they went on television um, doing appeals to uh, you know anyone who travelled in Central America and that area, of the, you know, particularly Guatemala, Belize, that... Uh, they, we knew they had last been in. By the end of October, um, the Foreign Office told us that uh, the skipper of the boat, Silas Dwayne Boston, a Californian, had had sold the boat in northern Belize and had reappeared back, back on the radar, back in his hometown of Sacramento right. in California, northern California. And uh, they uh, then interviewed him by telephone to ask what had happened to their whereabouts. We, we knew where they were from from this letter of Peter's that right. we had received in August. So we, it was unbelievably detailed, that letter. You know, we knew from that letter that they were on a boat, a private boat, owned by Boston, this, the skipper, that there were two, his two sons were on board, ages 13 and 12. Vince right. and Russell, and um, we knew where they were going. My father had quite fortuitously contacted the harbour master in Belize to discover that uh, that they had uh, been on the the boats, uh, the, the inventory, to say that they were on it when it left harbour. Right. But it, the boat, they weren't on the boat when it put put next put in in Livingston in Guatemala in July. So, so, so that we, news must have been pretty big for your parents. Absolutely. So we knew that, well, the, the question was what had happened out at sea. And so you found out that they hadn't arrived in the next port with these guys. Yeah. Um, and what happened after that? So after that, uh, the Foreign Office, having spoken to, to Boston on the phone, um, then called him in for questioning into the uh, consul in San Francisco. Right. And... The Consulate General was very much under the impression and wrote down in a report that he felt like 99% sure that Boston knew a lot more than he was saying. Mm. By this time, his story as to where he had put them down, he said, uh, was changing rapidly. And um, it was, you know, it was just not a stable story that he was he was telling. Um, and apparently his body language was such that he looked very guilty. So they had a very strong suspicion that, that he was the perpetrator of the crime. Um, but, of course, they weren't a law enforcement agency. Um, but it was then put into the hands of the Sacramento police. Right. Uh, they, they interviewed him as well subsequently, um, wanted to take him down because he kept saying that, th that he had put them ashore on the peninsula, which juts out from uh, Guatemala, Right. Um, and they wanted to take him down to there to to show them where he'd put them, but he refused. Um, and then what happened after that was that this was in early 1979. He completely went off the radar and went on the run with with both his sons. The, the police, I think, did make quite strenuous efforts to try and um, interview both of the boys but uh, he'd taken them, and if they weren't on the run with him, then his two parents, who were both divorced, um, 
harboured them and sheltered them from being interviewed. It was only in February that the Foreign Office reported to us that two bodies had been found 200 metres offshore, um, tortured and weighted down with engine parts. Um, and then subsequently buried unidentified on July the 8th. Oh, so they had so they had discovered the bodies, but they just had not known who they were, and they, no, you hadn't. Found they they were about by, them. buried unidentified. They they were um, the, the divers got them out of the sea, and they had obvious signs of torture. Uh, they had plastic bags over their heads, and um, they were roped together, hogtied. Do you still find that shocking? Like the the thought of that happening to you then? Ah, just unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the sheer sort of heinous nature of the crime is just hideous, really. You heard about this in February. You That's when you so, found so, out so, that so they, yeah, found. That they, they reported that, and then we had to go through another further two months of waiting um, because we had their dental records flown out. Um, and it wasn't until April the 10th that we got the um, the news that they had had a positive identification that you know and um, so then we knew conclusively that it was them and so how do your parents and yourselves and Peter's family deal with that I think in a in a sort of way, it was a relief to know because yeah. we'd had 10 months of not knowing and the last two months were torturous. You know, we were waiting and waiting on news, which, you know, it's hard to appreciate in this day of instant communication just how awful that is, waiting for those letters to arrive or the phone call to come. Um, so, yeah, it was agony, really, I think in our heart of hearts, we all knew that it was going to be them because the likelihood of it not being, you know, two Westerners of that similar description, it would have been, uh, you know, freaky for it not to have been them. But yeah. it was still tremendously upsetting to have got that conclusive proof because then all hope was gone. Yeah. Did you feel that there was like a kind of conscious decision as to how your parents sort of reacted to the news that was it about finding justice like what was their sort of driving force once they knew this awful news to to you know get justice for chris and peter because you know it just it was just so inexplicable how two decent human beings could end up in that state you know and it was obvious whoever had done it was sick and needed to be put away and uh, I mean I let on to you that I've been through a slightly similar situation that my brother was also murdered abroad and like it's uh, from my point of view it was it's so distant and that made it very difficult kind of to relate to a lot of it and also Mm. it felt sometimes that he was you know killed away maybe people didn't realize how loved he was at home sort Mm. of thing is that sort of does that kind of chime with you and and I guess you had that added thing of um trying to you know bring somebody to justice on your own as it were and it was very much like it must have felt a lot like your family's responsibility to try and sort of fight for this it, it was put into the hands of the greater manchester police but my parents were, were still very much i felt and and they felt very much in charge and and directing the case because I, I think the greater manchester police were 
as a much of a loss as to know what to do as as we were really because right. it was unusual to be handling an international case like this which involved um you know two two british citizens who were the victims and the perpetrator being American Californian and it happening in Guatemalan waters. It was just, the jurisdiction was so just complicated. so, yeah. So tell me about your dad, because he, like, I think got very involved, didn't he? He did, yes. Yeah, I mean, it, he became obsessed with it, really. He was so driven, along with my mother as well, you know, that they, any any opportunity to write to anyone who might have the grain a grain of any interest in the story so yeah. so you know by by 1979 we we were you know pretty darn sure who had killed them yeah. why we didn't know or why they should be tortured and end up in that state we didn't know but but we knew who had done it and you and, had and, no and we access were, to vincent russell who no, obviously you assumed no. might have known something no yeah. i mean we kept saying to the police please interview the two boys you know it was a small boat a 30-foot boat you know, unless it had happened at night. But then they must surely have asked the question, where have they gone in the morning? Yeah. Um, you know, we felt sure that they held the key to knowing what had happened. He, he just went on the run um, all over California and going up and down the Californian coast and disappearing over the Mexican border. Right. Um, you know, and, and slipping into obscurity down in Baja in Mexico. He used that that geography very carefully, didn't he? Yeah, and the the other um, critical piece of information that we were told was that um, the mother of the two boys, Vincent Russell, uh, a woman called Mary Lou Boston, uh, whom he was divorced from in 1968, had disappeared in September 1968, never to be seen again. And um, she was down as a missing person. But that also raised huge question marks over Boston. Subsequently, we were to find out that the reason he was down in Belize was because he was he jumped bail on a serious rape charge of a minor. And so tell me a bit more about the letters that you had from Peter. Like, what was she saying about what was happening? And uh, had they been enjoying their time on the boat? I think initially they did. They they enjoyed the sort of carefree, um, sort of bohemian lifestyle which Boston offered. He he had um, set up this business uh, when he had first gone down to Belize in early 1978, whereby he took tourists, you know, uh, the the, the uh, foreigners right. off to the little keys that scattered that coastline. They're very they were and I believe still are very pretty. Yeah. Um, and he took them on sort of day trips and made it into a sort of like Robinson Crusoe sort of um, offering, if you see what I mean, you know, make, making barbecues and bonfires on the keys. Very delicious, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and um, catching the fish. And so so he did that sort of day experience. And, um, and, and I think that was how Chris and Peter came to be introduced. They met in a bar in one of these remote little islands off Belize right. and it was just a chance meeting and from what I understand he was incredibly charismatic very um, popular a great raconteur right. not particularly attractive but what he lacked in looks he made up for in his um, uh, his very deep gravelly voice he had apparently it was oh, called right. the Boston Charm mm-hmm. um, and yeah he was a chameleon from what I gather and so she, they, they, they joined him on the boat. And in her letter, like 
what had she said about the, being on the boat with him? Um, so it started off fine, um, but in her last letter home, which we, as I say, got in August, um, there were there was evidence that things were starting to go awry on the boat, that Boston regularly um, beat up his children mm. and was abusive to them and uh, was losing his temper regularly with them and he was drinking too much. So we knew that as well we, from her letter. Right, yeah. But um, as I say, it was the, the question mark was, and, and especially after their bodies had been discovered, we then knew that the letter had been posted some 10 days after we were know, that they were known to have died. Ah, so you knew at that We point. knew then who, whoever posted that letter needed it as an alibi. You know, it, it was um, to cover up that Buying they, they were that. dead. Right, right, right. Interesting. So you knew it wasn't them that had posted the letter? Yeah. So you went off to university. I mean, I was relieved in some ways to get away from home because it was quite a depressing place to imagine. be. Yeah. You know, I was, you know, it sounds awful, but I was glad to get away and change the scenery. Yeah. Um, but I think the fact that I don't think I really coped with it at the time or dealt with it, I think has led to me never really getting over it in some ways Mm. to the point now where I'm still dealing with it, if you know what I mean. It was like an epiphany, really. It was a defining moment. It It was a beautiful October day and it was, you know, crystal clear, gin blue sky. And uh, I was in a field walking the dogs uh, with my mother, who was by then 91. And, uh, you know, I said to mum, you know, um, gosh, you know, what a beautiful day and such shame that Chris isn't alive. And she said, yes, I wonder what he'd look like now. You know, he'd be 60, 62. And um, it uh, it just literally came to me from out of the the blue really why, why on earth had I not looked on the internet for for Boston and his two sons it, it was literally that thought right. and um I thought to myself you know I bet I can find them if I just drill down far enough and really try and so I literally raced home and um got my laptop out got the file out that um you know they my parents had collated back in 1978 and 79 and um, started looking for them and not not very uh, long after that uh, I found them. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Claire, I don't really know where to start. It's such a shocking event. Yes. Um, I need to be careful not to talk about anything that comes up in part two, but there's a lot more to this story, which we'll hear next week. As suggested by the end there, we are in 2015 for part two and Penny suddenly realises that Boston's sons, who were about 11 or 12 at the time, and according to Peter's letters home, would have been on the boat when Peter and Chris were murdered, were now probably traceable on Facebook. And all these years later, she was going to find out what actually happened to her brother. So part two is out next week on Tuesday the 19th of February. Do make sure that you're subscribed. But first, let's return to discuss some of the pressing issues from part one. Yeah, I wanted to kick off by talking about how this story really highlights how communication has changed from 1978 until now. In fact, these guys were in close contact due to Peter's prolific and detailed letters to her family. But that was pretty unusual and obviously is nothing like the contact travellers can now have with their families and friends back home with constant messages, calls and Insta updates. Yeah, it was so different, wasn't it? I can remember when I went travelling, so this would have been kind of 10 years, well, you know, about 10 years later in 89, 90. And I think I called home once in four months because it was just so expensive. (laughs) We did write letters, but they were very few and far between and they probably took weeks to get home. And really, when I look back, I feel so bad for my parents. You know, they never tried to stop me or dissuade me but they must have been absolutely worried sick maybe they weren't <laughs> well, I'm just happy to get <laughs> very relieved for a few months yeah. <laughs> I remember when I was coming back I didn't tell them that I was coming home and I thought I'd just surprise them so I turned up at my dad's office and I can remember the look on his face you know just absolute sheer relief and definitely <laughs> Just shock, <laughs> shock and disbelief and a slight sense of disappointment. Oh, yeah. the house again. <laughs> no, you know, my oldest is 16, so I can, I can see it now from, you know, from the other side and just how difficult it must be or it must have been to see your children go off traveling and oh, definitely and not be able to contact them. Yeah. And I suppose the other thing now is that a lot of mobile phone data would have probably been used to like locate Chris yeah, and Peter course, and like, even Boston. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, and I think it was a lot easier to commit a crime and get away with it back then. Yeah, I wonder whether it was. Yeah. Do you think it was maybe quite a special thing, though, for young people, you know, to have that freedom that comes from basically really poor communication, you know, just to be yeah. able to kind of go... Go I wonder if it was more of a rite of passage for young people when okay. you know they could go away with that freedom of no need to call for weeks yes. on end and yeah. you know not having to tell anyone where they were. I, I sort of I vaguely remember like phone cards and credits and getting cut off like mid sentence like on these sort of you know one off calls yeah. um, when I was travelling. But I think fundamentally many young people will travel for different reasons maybe now. 
it's sort of now that the travel is like so documented and shared and if we aren't careful like probably a bragging experience oh, like rather than before when it was mostly a personal kind of experience that was quite isolated yes. and a few photos developed when you got home like these days there probably isn't much to say when you get back because everyone's been following you all the way around which you know which is fine too it's just really different yeah it is very different so Penny was off to university in the midst of all of this and it must have been really hard for her you know the impact of losing someone so traumatically when you're young and Claire you touched on losing your brother in the recording I wonder did you feel a special connection to Penny's experience yeah we definitely did and we we shared some tears my brother was killed in the terrorist bombings in Bali in 2002 so I had yeah a very direct connection with Penny um I was 24 when I when it happened to me and my brother was 28 so we were slightly older but yes I really knew how that kind of I suppose out of the blue tragic event of losing a brother felt and also that disconnect of it happening so far away I think these enormous events early in our lives carve right into the person you become I was think I was lucky in that my family were quite open about talking um Penny describes quite a sort of stiff upper lip feeling in her family um Mm. which perhaps I think she said that might have affected her coming to terms with it all I wonder as well whether because the murders were unsolved for so long and her parents were, you know, very understandably completely absorbed in trying to seek justice for Chris and Peter, whether that perhaps meant that they didn't grieve the loss in the same way that you would with another more straightforward death. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one thing that really has helped Penny was writing and she wrote a book about all these events called Dead in the Water, which I have obviously read and it details this whole story and is a fascinating read. So I would highly recommend getting that if you're interested in this story and we'll put a link to it. I wonder what the long-term effect is of losing someone in this way. I was listening to Bob Mortimer on Desert Island Discs just recently, which is an episode that I would very highly recommend. Yeah. And he talked about losing his father when he was seven. I think he'd, he'd clearly done a lot of reflecting on this and he talks about being a people helper because he doesn't want people to leave him. So, you know, it makes me wonder what was the effect on Penny and, you know, I guess also what the effect on you has been, if you don't mind me asking. No, um, I'm not really sure. Um, I've always been very aware, I suppose, that I no longer have any siblings um, alive. So I suppose... I have maybe sort of subconsciously invested in my close friends and I think, you know, they are exceptionally important to me. Mm. Um, but I don't know what it's done to my character. Maybe maybe I'm more anxious of losing someone. Um, I definitely do think about my family members a lot in that context. So um, I think that's probably quite likely. Yeah, so as you've just mentioned Desert Island Discs, um, perhaps now's a good time to pause our discussion about Penny's backstory. Um, There's definitely lots more to say, but we'll pick it up again once we've heard part two next week. Shall we move on to our podcast recommendations? Sure. Okay. Have you got one for us? Yes. Well, um, some of you might have seen from our social media feeds, I I saw Dolly Alderton in Norwich last week, which made me feel a bit old as it was definitely aimed at the millennials. Um, But she was seriously eloquent. And so in prep for seeing that, I listened to her Love Stories podcast. And um, I particularly enjoyed the the recent one with Adam Kay um, as her guest. 
I loved his book, This Is Going to Hurt, about being a doctor and um, the amazing, funny and sort of poignant stories about that. Oh, God. So hang on. There's an anecdote, isn't there? You told me about today. People yeah. need to listen out for... Listen out for the proposal story, um, which involves the proposal's <laughs> vagina and something getting stuck. It's very, very interesting. Um so yeah, so I would recommend that because it's it's really great, and it's it, they talk about all his loves, and um, especially the bit about the NHS um, is is really like beautiful. Okay, sounds good. So, what about you, Susie? Any listening gems? Well, I don't know whether I've mentioned this one before. Actually, the Guardian's in focus. It's kind of like the Daily for the UK. Well, you don't mention the the um, Guardian one, but the Daily. My God, we've heard about it a thousand times. I think absolute um, favourite. Well, so, one of my absolute favourites. So it's a current affairs type of program, is it? Yeah, it is, and it has a really nice tone, especially if you're a bit of a woolly liberal like me. So I like it anyway, and I thought there was a definite gap for that kind of daily format in the UK. Yeah, so worth a listen. Definitely have a listen to that. So also make sure you listen to part two of this fascinating story um, next week. We really can't recommend pressing subscribe highly enough. It's it's free despite the word, which feels like there's some kind of like hidden payment behind it. I know but, that's a real bugbear for us, isn't it? It makes yeah. it sound as though you're going to pay for something, but you're not completely yeah. free. Do also please recommend us to your family and friends. We've got a really strong season coming up that we think deserves lots of listens. So if you've enjoyed this, please share the episode on Facebook and Twitter. Help us out and share as much as you can. That would be great. Have a good week. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We are The Backstory Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at The Backstory Pod on Twitter search for the backstory with Claire and Susie in your podcast directory for sponsorship opportunities or if you'd like to take part in a show please contact hello at the backstorypodcast.co.uk the backstory podcast is produced by tin shared productions Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.